Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Rick Stevens, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, Brad Palumbo, he's the policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be joining us, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. It is August the 26th, and on this day in 1794, President George Washington, only five years into the history of the company, country, wrote to Henry Light Horse Harry Lee, Virginia's governor and former general, regarding the Whiskey Rebellion, an insurrection that was the first great test of Washington's authority as president of the United States. In the letter, Washington declared that he had no choice but to act to subdue the insurgents, fearing they would otherwise shake the government to its foundation. The Whiskey Rebellion of August 1794 was the product of growing discontentment, which would be expressed as early as 1791, of grain farmers who resented a federal tax imposed on their distillery products. As growers threatened federal tax collectors with physical harm, Washington at first tried to prosecute the resistors in the court system. In 1794, however, 6,000 men, angry at the tax gathered at the field near Pittsburgh and with fake guillotines at, at the ready, challenged Washington and the federal government to disperse them. In response, Washington issued a public proclamation on August the 7th, giving his former Revolutionary Ward aide-de-camp and current Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton the power to organize troops to put down the rebellion. In his letter to Lee on August the 26th, Washington noted that the general populace considered the insurrection with universal indignation and abhorrence and said that he otherwise would not have authorized such a heavy-handed response. Washington knew that the nation, having only recently violent, violently overthrown the tyrannical English king, was in a delicate state that did not want to appear as an equally despotic president. He waited to see if the insurgents were cut back down. They did not. According to a biographer, Joseph Ellis and His Excellency George Washington, the aging president mounted his horse on September the 30th to lead the force of 13,000 larger than any American army amassed in one place during the revolution to quell the uprising. The act of mounting his horse was a brief and largely symbolic gesture. Washington made most of the journey by carriage. Lee joined the Washington and the army on its march to Pennsylvania. Then, <clears throat> this was the first and only time a sitting president ever led troops into battle. Imagine that. Washington abandoned the process early, however, leaving Alexander Hamilton, the true mastermind of the military response to the insurrection, in charge of the final approach to Pittsburgh. The rioters dispersed, and in the presence of the federal troops and bloodshed was averted. In the aftermath, Washington reported to Congress that although he had agonized about the decision and tended to uphold the constitutional right to protect unfair tax laws or protest them, the insurrection had to be put down on the, or the survival of the young democracy would have been in peril. Congress applauded his decision, but Washington's former Secretary of State, Thomas Jefferson, who was in temporary retirement at Monticello in his estate, viewed Washington's decision to call out troops against fellow citizens as a dire threat 
to Republican ideals and to the abuse of presidential power. The uprising highlighted a growing division in early American politics, which, by the end of Washington's second term, pitted rural agricultural interests led by future President Thomas Jefferson and James Madison against the pro-industrial urban interests represented by Hamilton and John Adams and gave rise to the two-party political system. So that's the Whiskey Rebellion right there. It was quelled, but only five years into our existence as a nation. Well, the Naples-Marco Island metropolitan area has dominated the Community Well-Being Index in the past, maybe for the last four years, at one point garnering number one for four years in a row. With other Sunshine State is also consistently putting on a good showing. Well, not this go-round. For the yearly survey, this that ties to factors that include dwellers' views about health, financial security, community, and sense of purpose, Collier plummeted to number 43. Number 43, from number one to number 43, and Florida has most of its communities in the last half of the 383 metro rated uh, and 15 of its top of its 23 in the bottom 200 or so. Lee County landed at number 181. So a couple of factors. Number one is uh, apparently our the cost of our housing has risen to the point where it's created a ne- negative effect on this rating. And number two, there are now 300. 83 communities being measured instead of 194. Never, nevertheless, 43 out of 383, not bad. I love it here. Well, Florida's recovered more than 960,000 of the already 1.3 million jobs that were lost during the height of the COVID-19 break outbreak. And according to state officials, the Department of Economic Education Opportunity, I should say, said in a recent statement that the state has recovered 964,400 jobs of those lost when the pandemic struck last spring, uh, which threw the economy in its tailspin and led to a sharp rise in unemployment. The Sunshine State economy now remains just over 315,000 jobs short of the pre-pandemic levels, that according to Jerry Parrish, a chief economist at the Florida Chamber of Commerce. We still have a few to go. To get back to the pre-COVID peak of more than 9 million jobs, non-farm jobs. And Florida Paris said also in a video presentation that part of the August edition of the Chamber's monthly overview of the latest job figures and other economic data, <clears throat> around two-thirds of the jobs that have yet to be recovered in Florida are in the leisure and hospitality industry, with Paris saying that the pace of job recovery in this sector is accelerating. So this is all good news. Looks good for uh, the economy. Here in Florida, of course, we're, uh, the national rate of unemployment is 5.4%. Here in Florida, in July, it's only 5.1%. So Florida's unemployment rate continues to remain below the national average, and more people continue to return to the workforce, showing that Florida remains a leader in economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. That, according to Dane Eagle, DEO secretary, said in a statement. All good news. Uh, for Florida. By the way, speaking of the pandemic, I thought it was kind of interesting that the, the president right now is asking that we all get our shots, get the uh, the jab for uh, the vaccine, and uh, he's encouraging all employers to insist that employees uh, have the jab, have to get the vaccine. Well, here's a list of employers that are not requiring employees to get vaccinated. Number one, the White House, number two, the CDC, number three, the FDA, 
the WHO, the World Health Organization, and then get this, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, none of those employers require uh, the vaccine uh, for their employees. What's with that? How do you, what do you make of that? That's kind of interesting to me. Uh, so a degree of hypocrisy, if I ever heard of uh, such a thing. Well, only about 5% of the people in the United States have evacuated from Afghanistan are Americans seeking safe passage home. More than 82,300 have been airlifted from Kabul since the government's collapse nearly two weeks ago. But the Pentagon said that as of Wednesday, only 4,400 Americans were rescued in those evacuation operations. President Joe Biden previously promised to get out the Americans who are left in Afghanistan and subject to the Taliban's rule. But so far, our citizens do not appear to be the priority. State Department also confirmed that a majority of people whisked away on flights from Kabul are not U.S. citizens. On Tuesday, political and national security reporter Alex Ward reported leaked numbers indicating that in just 15 hours on August 23rd, the United States evacuated 6,916 people from Afghanistan, only of which 483 were American citizens or uh, Afghan nationals. The rest were Afghan nationals. While the estimates uh, suggest that thousands are still stranded in Afghanistan following the Taliban's swift takeover of the capital city, the Biden administration still refuses to disclose how many Americans are still left behind. The administration's process for thoroughly vetting individuals coming to the United States from Af Afghanistan is also very unclear. Polls indicate that Biden's approval rating is nosediving following his administration's botched exit from Afghanistan. Uh, but political reports at the White House and administration allies have begun aggressively touting the success of their evacuation efforts in the war-torn country. That's just unbelievable. By the way, uh, the United States uh, Embassy in Kabul is advising Americans to not go near the Kabul airport, citing security threats. What do you make of that? Uh, so now Americans are stranded. Oh, that's right. Saki, Saki said they aren't stranded, but they are. They're stranded there. And uh, where is the point of departure? It's the Kabul airport. And now the embassy is saying, don't go there. Unbelievable. By the way, uh, there is uh, Tucker Carlson today uh, played an interview of Eric Prince, who is the head of Blackwater. And uh, it's such an interesting story. Well, he's flying people out by helicopter for $6,500 a person. and. Uh, the uh, Jim Pisaki is saying this is outrageous. He's profiting from this. Well, he's not profiting. If you can just think about the cost of, an, uh, of a helicopter and all the danger that's involved and having uh, pilots and uh, fuel and so forth. Well, he's, uh, he's doing that, and I think it's just amazing. See the interview. Tucker Carlson today, uh, Eric Prince of uh, Blackwater Foundry. It's just a very interesting story. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, Be in the Know, and Stay Up to Date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. All 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out. You can download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Brad Palumbo. He is the policies correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is a grassroots organization that we have friends all across Florida, and we work to bring solutions, improvements to K-12 through education in Florida. We try to bring solutions to problems, not just complain about problems, but we want to say, here's an answer. Let's talk about how we can make it better for our kids. And we try to be the voice of those parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, everybody in Florida that cares about children. We try to amplify that voice while we work together at the state level and the local level. I must say, you've been around about, uh, well, nine or ten years, I guess, now. I'm a proudly a, a founding member of the Florida Citizens Alliance, and I must say, just doing outstanding work and having great traction and influence in Tallahassee and with the Department of Education as well as the governor. So, well done, Pastor Rick. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, this uh, right now, the governor has uh, said no mass in Florida public schools, and uh, some uh, school systems are fighting back. What are your thoughts? Well, we see a lot of school districts fighting back. A lot of school boards are taking steps to defy the governor's orders, and we think good sense, and we think the law. 
it's one thing for the governor to issue a, an executive order. It's another thing for the state board to, to put a rule in place, which then has the force of law. And it's another thing when school boards violate the rights of parents that was clearly established in law in the last legislative session when the House and the Senate both passed the Parents' Bill of Rights. The governor signed it into law. That Parents' Bill of Rights clearly says that it's the parents' right to direct the education of their children. It's the parents' right to handle the medical concerns of their children. And it's nobody else's right to interfere with that. And when these school boards across the state are stepping up and saying, no, we're requiring your children to wear a mask against your will, that's a serious concern. And I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's motivated by care for the children. And, you know, we all, we all hear about all these conspiracy theories, and, and people have demagogued them until it turns out so many of them were right. I think they're once again using this against the governor to try to make a political statement. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence to support that this helps the children not get sick or keep from spreading the disease to anyone. Nobody has put evidence out there. There's evidence that it's harmful for kids. So why are they using our children as a pawn in a battle that's rooted in politics and a desire to take out the governor so he can't one day run for president? I mean, you've got to connect all these dots. It's just beyond bizarre. It, it really is. I mean, first of all, there's plenty of proof that uh, face masks do absolutely no good, especially. Also, we know that the uh, kids don't get that sick if they, if they do get the uh, virus, number one. And number two, uh, their likelihood of getting it is extremely remote. And number three, I mean, one of the ways that we eliminate waste in our bodies is through our mouths. <laughs> and so what sure. we do is we t we put on a piece of cloth and trap it there for the kids to experience, uh, you know, all kinds of contaminants that might be running through their body and keeping it there against their face. And uh, I, I submit that not only does it do no good, it actually uh, reduces or suppresses the immune system over time because uh, it's, it's just not natural. Well, it's absolutely right. And I think parents understand that. And not only does it cause physical harm, and everybody's focusing on that, but I, I think we all should, <clears throat> pardon me, should think about the fear that this evokes in our children. Right. When, we, when we put them through this, and, and by, by definition, we're making them afraid that they're going to get sick or make somebody sick, what does that do to the development of a child? How does that help their childhood? It doesn't. It, it robs them of these years when they should have the opportunity to be carefree They'll have plenty of years to care about a lot of things, uh, but we're putting fear in them and, and anxious concern. It's, it's just beyond, beyond acceptable. Yeah. And I've been really proud. I live in Lee County, and I've been really proud of the parents and the grandparents and the friends of children who have gone to the school board meeting and stood up and said to them, you put a mask mandate in place and we won't comply because you have no right to do this. Good. There were some 500 at the last school board meeting and they made a strong statement, and the school board backed down. There's a concern that they're going to bring it up again next Tuesday's meeting, and these same people are trying to get a 1,000 people at that school board meeting to say to the school board, we are their parents. We care about them more than you ever could. Leave us alone. Leave our kids alone. You know what? That's, that's so refreshing to hear, and uh, hopefully the same thing is happening in Collier County, although I think the threat is pretty minimal here in Collier County. Uh, but... Uh, it's it's uh, it's shocking, really. Quite frankly, it's just, so. What are next steps? I mean, is this going to go to court? Where where does this go? Well, there are, there are some legal challenges, 
there is a good avenue for parents if they would like to pursue it through the Hope Scholarship. It was through our efforts that we got the state to include the mask harassment in the Hope Scholarship program. So if a parent has a problem at school with their children over masks, that that's an automatically qualifier for the Hope Scholarship, and they can take their child to a private school just like that, no questions asked. So that's another step. Of course, we're also working on all these kinds of things at the state and legislative level, and we'll be having ongoing conversations with our representatives and senators to say, what can we do to, to better protect the rights of parents? Because we have to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, stay tuned. I'm sure it's going to end up in court, but uh, I think there's not a leg to stand on for these school boards because, as you pointed out, this is the state law, and a number, there's a couple of laws, but number one is the fact that they, we have a Bill of Parents' Rights here in Florida, and it clearly states by law that the parents have the right to make health care decisions for their kids. Absolutely. And it's not just that it's, <clears throat> excuse me again, it's not just that it's the law. It's that parents are saying, <clears throat> leave my child alone. Yeah. This is my responsibility. And when parents step up that way, then everybody needs to pay attention because you harm a parent's child and you unleash something you didn't know you were unleashing. Yeah. And that's why I've been so proud of the people in Lee County and other places who have been standing up and saying, no, we're not going to comply with this. You don't have a right to do this, and we're not going to let you do this to our kids. Yeah. And you're right, Collier County has been very resolute on that. Fortunately, the school board there at this point doesn't seem to be challenging that, and that's a good thing. Maybe they're paying attention to Lee County and learning that it's not a good thing to challenge. But we're, we're seeing this, and this is going to have long-lasting ramifications all the way up to school board elections. There is no question about it. Parents are not going to forget this. And everybody who holds elected office needs to start to take a lesson from this, that we, the people, will speak up, and you need to listen. Hmm. And, and it's a great movement. We couldn't be more proud of the parents that are stepping up and speaking out. So I think there's nine school districts, if I'm not mistaken, that have made this statement that they want to uh, have a mask mandate for kids coming to school. Do you know how parents are reacting in those school districts? Well, we get call, <clears throat> calls from parents, and, and they talk to us about the, the problems, and some of them are looking for the Hope Scholarship, and I've had a couple of conversations this week with parents about that. I'm not sure in the other counties whether the parents have organized themselves as effectively as they have here in southwest Florida. And so we're trying to help them do that and to help them realize they can stand up. Now, to be perfectly honest, there are probably some counties that the parents think this is a good idea. Yeah. Well, again, if the parents want to make that decision, we're happy for them to make that decision. Just don't impose it on people who don't want to make that decision. It's called liberty, all and right. that's what we advocate for all the time. Absolutely. I just can't believe that some people are saying, please, government, tell us what to do. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Rick Stevens, again, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. GoFLCA is the website. GoFLCA.com is the website. Please do check it out. It's very robust and very informative. GoFLCA.com. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Brad Palumbo. He is a policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And as you just heard, building a beautiful 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. I hope you check it out at golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Yeah, so fee.org, F-E-E dot org. Uh, it's the oldest free market think tank in America, um, and we basically talk about the news, politics, and policy from the free market, pro-capitalism perspective. And mainly directed towards high school and college-age young people. So I just encourage you, if you have somebody at that age in your life, I strongly encourage you to have them visit the website and find out more about this great organization. Fee.org, again, is a website. So, Brad, you wrote a really timely and interesting piece about the House votes to supersize the welfare state. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, so everybody's distracted right now with Afghanistan, and understandably so. It's a huge story, right? But mm -hmm. while that's all happening, I mean, the Democrats in the House just quietly moved to pass a $3.5 trillion super welfare bill that would be one of the biggest expansions of the welfare state in American history. These numbers don't mean anything to most people. $3.5 trillion, right? Like, what does that mean? What is a trillion? But think about it like this. 
it is the equivalent of $24,400 in new spending for every federal taxpayer. It's actually bigger if you adjust for inflation than what uh, FDR spent on the New Deal. Hmm. So this is a giant, giant, giant spending package that will bankrupt the country and expand the welfare state to levels we've really not had. Um, and it's happening, and not even that many people are noticing. And I understand that there's an amnesty included in this thing. So I actually don't, off the top of my head, know what the immigration provisions are mm. in it, because the thing is that, is that they just passed um, a resolution to approve the spending, but then they're going to come up with bills that flesh out all the specifics. Ah. So it's hard to know exactly, but that is part of the problem, is that there'll be everything under the sun in this. Um, there will be all sorts of... They just put crypto regulations into the infrastructure package. So when you have these giant bills, they, they slip all sorts of things that they don't want to pass on their own and debate them, and they don't want to possibly get backlash for... So I'm not sure about the specifics, but I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, there'll be lots of stuff that's unrelated to uh, infrastructure or whatever the, the topic supposedly may be slipped into a $3.5 trillion bill. Yeah, of course, I might be confusing that with the infrastructure $3.5 trillion bill. <laughs> so, and this is the budget bill, right? Yeah, this is the, the they call it a human infrastructure bill yeah. it would spend 3.5 trillion on things like so-called free aka you and i pay for it college community college massive expansions of the child tax credit of green subsidies um this has massive expansions of obamacare subsidies including for rich people can get bigger subsidies than working class people mm -hmm. um, it would add more people to government health care it would create a civilian climate core basically a government agency to make people um, do do jobs or give people jobs that are supposed to help the environment um, that would be probably one of the most inefficient things right just people pushing around pencils all day in the name of climate change at taxpayer expense, it would do all that and so much more. Um, and like I said, this is just the resolution that approves the spending, mm -hmm. and they're going to flesh out bills for each and every committee, and that will have um, literally thousands of spending items. So those are just some of the main ones. Yeah, my, that climate core, now this is just me and my uh, own suspicions, but it uh, seems to me it could end up being the brown shirts of the Democrat Party, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you oh, know, yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was openly political yeah. um, and if they were using the taxpayer dollars to have these people do climate awareness campaigns that are basically like, de facto campaigning for the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Say, Brad, before I let you go, uh, you also wrote an interesting piece about state economic recovery. So interesting about uh, who's get recovering the fastest in the United States. Yeah, so I, I reported this article, um, and it's so hilarious. Somebody actually accused me of cherry-picking, and I'm like, I didn't cherry-pick anything. The Labor Department published the data for what states, as of July have the best unemployment rates, and have the worst. And I looked at the top 10 and the worst 10. The top 10, every single one has a Republican governor. 
Nebraska, Utah, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Idaho, Vermont, Alabama, Oklahoma, Montana, and Georgia. These are the states that have the 10 lowest unemployment rates, and they all have Republican governors. They've all had lighter lockdowns and reopened sooner, and um, they all have ended the unemployment benefits, except for one. Vermont, that's the one exception, mm -hmm. but they all ended the expanded unemployment benefits that can pay many workers more than work. But if you look at the 10 worst states, nine out of 10 are Democrat run states. And generally speaking, they had harsher lockdowns and more restrictions. And except for one, they all pay the benefits still that are um, ultra generous and, and you can make more than your job in many cases. All I'm pointing out is these hard facts. The picture is very clear what works and what doesn't. You know, and as a result of some of these uh, programs to uh, fund the problems created by the vaccine, I understand that states got the windfalls. These uh, blue states, many of them got windfalls that now they're spending like uh, drunken sailors. Only difference is that drunken sailors, when they run out of money, they have to go home. <laughs> states just keep on spending. Yeah, they spent $350 billion on ta of taxpayer money on giving states a bailout. But many of these states didn't even have any problems with their budget. They were making money. Um, and so they've had tons of money to waste on all sorts of things. And, of course, uh, the government bailed out the government. So it was obviously more excessive than it needed to be by a, a lot because it's our money they're spending not right. their own right brad palumbo again policy correspondent with the foundation for economic education again i just repeat uh if you have a young person in your life make sure at high school or college age they visit fee.org the foundation for economic education brad always appreciate your well-informed commentary here in the show thank you so much for joining us thanks so much my pleasure indeed Coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Mulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and (laughs) we're a vanishing breed. Yes, indeed. It's an aspiration, though, Seton. So uh, yes. you wrote such an interesting piece, North Carolina federal judge cites disinformation to ratify state censorship. Can we stoop to a new low here? Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, of course, this is a George W. Bush uh, federal judge appointee, so reminding us yet again that awful government is bipartisan. Um, what this guy did is he was Schaefer, I think, if I recall properly, and what happened was, um, there's, there's a law in a bunch of states. This is the first time it was tested, and the, the, the law is against quote-unquote patent trolls. Now, that's something made up by, that's a phrase made up by uh, people who want to steal patents. Right. And what they claim is a patent troll is someone who owns a patent but didn't invent the patent. And then sends letters saying, hey, you're in violation of my patent, um, you know, either pay us or stop using it. And, uh, the, of course, that's ridiculous. You know, the, the inventor doesn't often want to go into business, right? They you know, they don't want to be a CEO of a manufacturing company. They want to sell their patent, which they are, it's their property they can do, and then use the money for their next invention. You know, that's how the system's worked forever. But then, of course, the patent thieves invent this concept of patent troll, and these enti- and there's a business model, or there used to be. Uh, I used to work for one, and they went out of business because because of these stupid rulings. They'd buy patents from inventors, and their entire business model was to own a portfolio of patents and get their money back leasing the patents. Uh, they, you know, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as I say in the piece, if someone steals your car and you report them, are you an automobile troll? <laughs> if, if, if someone's living in your house and you don't want them there, are you a you know a a, 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 home, a home troll, a house troll? No. Uh, so anyway, they passed this law in North Carolina that was being tested that said if you know if they send a demand letter and the, and the, the demand letter is deemed to be fraudulent, then you can you know this preempts the law preempts this. You can't send a law that's fraudulent. And the judge 
ruling for the law said, no, it didn't violate the First Amendment, because the First Amendment only protects true speech and not fraudulent speech. Hmm. Now, I went back and reread the first, after reading that, I went back and reread the First Amendment for about the nine millionth time, and there is no exemption for fake speech or false speech or phony speech. I read it. I read the First Amendment. It's not that long. It's probably 50 words or less, and it didn't take me that long to read it, and there's no exemption for fake speech or false speech or disinformation or anything of the sort. It's well, there are, uh, there are other laws that protect you from that if you're, for example, uh, uh, somehow uh, your, uh, your reputation has been uh, besmeared or something. You can certainly sue Well, that's people. libel or slander, and right. that's, that's for reputation. That doesn't preempt the speech. That, that's my point exactly. Yes, it doesn't preempt the speech. It, it, it deals with the ramifications of false speech. It doesn't preempt the false speech. Right. That's what this law does. And this guy says... He's a judge. He went to law school, and he says this doesn't violate the First Amendment. So we've now reached the point of this idiotic evolution that disinformation or fake news or whatever is, is, is not protected by the First Amendment. And, of course, the other point to make is, gee, this is exactly who I want determining what's real and what's fake speech, government. Mm. This, the same government that spent four years saying Trump colluded with Russia. The same government who said, you know, masks are good, masks are bad. Uh, you, know, the sh you know, the same government officials. Remember Biden and Kamala Harris spent all of the 2020 campaign saying, any shot developed by Trump is a terrible thing and should never be taken or trusted. And then who are the biggest pro m proponents for vaccine mandates now? The very same vaccines. Exactly. The same people who said they wouldn't trust the vaccine. It seems appropriate. So, you know, and Fauci's been caught lying about masks. Remember, we had that email that says, yeah, actually, masks don't work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here we are in the year two, almost, of, of mask mandates. Um, you know, so you, the government lies to us all the time, and now they're going to be the arbiters yeah. of what's real and what's fake and, and which speech is protected and which is not. I, that doesn't bode well, I don't think. Well, now the judicial branch of government is now stuck in stew in this stuff. In this it, well, it's, it's, well, it's the other way around. The the ooze has seeped into the judiciary now. No, good point, good point. So, you know, earlier in the show, and it's worth repeating right now, but uh, right now the, the president is, is saying that he wants employers to mandate vaccines it wants to, that should be their job, but he's encouraging them now that, quote-unquote, the FDA is... Oh, well, I, I, I wrote a post just on social media about a month ago where I said, we may be at the unfortunate point now where between the size of government and all the influence they have and the number of woke companies that will buy into this nonsense, we may get a backdoor public-private hybrid mandate. Yeah. For the vaccine. Yeah. As a matter of fact. Um, and and that's, what I, that's what I'm afraid of. And I just read this morning before I came on, a poll says 40% of employees want higher insurance rates yeah. for employees that won't get the vaccine. Yeah. Well, in fact, uh, is it uh, United or, or is it Delta that's charging? Maybe it's United. Delta. Delta, $200 per employee. If you don't have the vaccine, your insurance costs are going to be $200 more per month. Unbelievable. <laughs> 
So yeah. listen, so listen for, to for a vaccine that you still get sick if you get the if you get the virus. You, know, you still get the virus if you get the vaccine. It doesn't protect you from other people that don't get the vaccine. What is the point of the vaccine then? I know exactly. So listen, here's a list of the people, uh, the employers. Uh, who don't uh, require vaccines uh, in, for their employers or employees. This is a shocking list. Listen to this. The White House, the CDC, the FDA, right. the World Health Organization, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, none of, which, <laughs> right. none of which require the vaccine. What's going on with that? And I, I just found this out. It's apparently been common knowledge for months, but I just found this out yesterday. You know who Dr. Fauci's wife is? Yes, I do. What I forgot what, what role she plays. I though. forgot her name. It's not Fauci. She goes by her maiden name, I guess. And she's the director of bioethics at the National Institute for Health. Yeah. <laughs> so, she, and it's the National Institute of Health that does the research on whether or not the FDA will will approve or not approve vaccines. So, once again, DC is a fetid cesspool that every, that everybody in DC treats like a hot tub. Yeah. So true. Seat Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org. You can also find out find Less Government on Facebook. Seat, always appreciate this. Such so interesting story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We'll be talking about what's happening here locally and nationally. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, and that's just one of the initiatives. You can check it out at www.thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, thank you. Um, As always, uh, Thursday mornings are a little brighter for me, knowing that I'm going to be on your show. Well, you're making our morning brighter as well, Bill, so thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) I'd love to talk. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what's happening around the world and the globe and all that, but I just want to thought, is there any local news, any any uh, good scoop? Well, sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I think the uh, the natives are, are, are probably getting a little bit, a little bit restless uh, because uh, there's a lot of rumors about people that are going to run for council um, huh. in February, and uh, uh, so there's some stirrings around that, that, that I'm hearing, and... Um, There'll be more on that uh, probably within the next couple of weeks because I think we have a uh, a potential candidate who might be a breath of fresh air, but we'll hold off until it's official on that, and then I will be more than happy to to jump right into it. But um, uh, you know, at the last when the council came back from their break last week um, uh, on Monday, they had a workshop and. Uh, uh, the mayor got on her uh, soapbox and said meetings are going to change. Uh, the time uh, is going to make a lot more difference in the length of the meetings um, and uh, has a new schedule worked out and whatever, and then proceeded uh, on Monday to go for 10 hours uh, <laughs> and on Wednesday for probably the equal amount, if not more. And they, um, they had already listed to, to push agenda items off until the next council meeting and you know what when you do that uh we didn't i didn't get into too much trouble on that um doing that but the problem is is you don't get caught up and what you have to do is then you have to schedule uh extra meeting which takes staff time and uh uh a a lot of effort um to have a to have an extra meeting um, to be caught up on things that you should have done in the first place. I do not understand how anybody can sit through a 10-hour meeting. And to me, uh, the objective is to do all the business. with all, The purpose of a meeting is to make decisions. So how can it possibly Correct. take ten, 10 hours to make make decisions? just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it's more, you know, it's, it's more than that because, Bob, what if you were one of the ones that had a petition? that was scheduled to be in front of council um, for, for the meeting. And you sit there um, from, from eight 30 in the morning um, because you don't have a time certain on your item and you have an attorney that's representing you and you sit and you sit and you sit and all of a sudden they say, well, we, we can't get to this today. We're going to, we'll just push it off till the next meeting. I mean, there's a lot more to it than just not getting accomplished what is up there on the agenda. I can tell you that right now. No, you make a it's, great it's, point because we've we've been in front of, when I was uh, the board chairman of Gulf Shore Playhouse, we sat in front of city council for a purpose, and uh, was, right. we had to wait. It was not time certain. I just couldn't imagine, especially sitting there with a term, uh, uh, an attorney that's on the clock for 10 yeah. hours accomplishing nothing, <laughs> playing video well, games or whatever. You're, you're right. And, and the thing is, is that I don't know um, 
whether she, I, I think she's involved in the agendas, knowing her, she'd say she isn't, but I think she is. And I never had, I never ever had an issue. I, I would um, not be so um, presumptive as to say, to expect a phone call and saying, hey, you know what? We could really use a little help because obviously she can't quite get this. Um, and it's been going on for over a year now and it's not getting any better. Yeah, and and I know what this. I I definitely will tell you. Um, I I'd, I'd put my neck out there and tell you that uh, I most likely could make a difference in at least helping them do the agendas. But um, uh, I'm I'm keeping my mouth closed. Yeah. I'm only talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you. So uh, one one of the agenda items that was put off was the role of the mayor of Naples. Did that discussion right. ever come up? So so. Um, what, what, what they did was she, they put that one off. Okay. And so then at the end of the meeting, she decides, oh, let's talk about it. And a couple of the council members got very upset and said, absolutely not. Um, this was scheduled for a full meeting and a full discussion. And, uh, no, not going to discuss it now at the end of a 10 hour day or 11 hour day. So that's where that got. Ah. So hopefully on the next meeting, maybe they'll have it at an early spot where they there's no excuses because it's probably an important thing yeah uh so interesting so uh i would love to get some of your thoughts on what's happening around the globe in the world afghanistan uh you name it a any thoughts yeah you know bob I, I i'm so i get so disappointed and and i'm sure everybody does i'm reading what's going on over there um uh, you well, I just feel so bad for the people there. Yeah. Um, and if they go back to 20 years ago or whatever, I mean, it's just going to be horrendous. And I, I think that the administration absolutely blew it. Um, well, since why wouldn't you get your stuff out of there first and get everything in order before you pulled the military and you have everything pre-organized? But I don't know. Look, you know, you can we can lay it on a lot of people, but. The old saying of the fish stinks from the head is is a true one. But you know what? Um, if you if you or I, not that it would ever in a million years happen, were the 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 the, the, the chief officer of the United States, the the president, and everything else, he has to have advisors yeah. and great people, you know, around him, as anybody does. You do, I do, whatever. I how did I just don't understand how they did that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sh there's a couple of alternatives. One is he has advisors and he didn't listen to them. Uh, that's possible. Or number two, yeah, the advisors just gave bad advice. They're incompetent and uh, don't know what they're talking about. And, un and just yeah, yeah. Go ahead, uh, Mayor Mayor Bill. Are, are Bob, you, yes, are you there? Okay, don't, don't, yeah, I'm here. Don't don't you feel that hard to believe or find it? You know, here's the other. Here's another alternative, though, that just uh, haunts me, and I just hope it's not true. But you know, uh, the president's been compromised by his son Hunter with regard to his dealings in different countries, including China. It just makes me wonder if perhaps he's been compromised to the point that somebody's saying, "Here's what we want you to do." That's scary. Yeah, yeah, that is a scary thought. But I just feel for the people right now, and and hoping we can still get those out that need to get out. And, um, I mean, that's all you can do. Say a prayer for them. Uh, I was reading a couple of articles. Um, this. 
Bill, we've lost you again. Are you there? Women um, and the educators and everything else over these years. And and now to see it all go just hopefully, you know, the Taliban saying, well, we're not going to do that anymore. But they're not really showing any uh, evidence of it. No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm concerned that Afghanistan is going to be a, another hotbed of terrorism and jihadist uh, activity. Uh, as, right. As it's been in the right. past. It's kind of scary. Now, you know, of course, we're having difficulty getting Americans out. They just had a uh, the, the uh, embassy in uh, Tabul, Kabul said that they didn't want people going to the airport because it was very dangerous. And, of course, that's the only point of exit for, for them to get out of right. Afghanistan. So have you heard of Eric Prince? He's the president of, of uh, Blackwater. No, yeah, no. So he's the guy that, that, that it's a uh, contractor. So they uh, do a lot of work in Afghanistan and other places around the world that's right. all contracted out. So he's going in and flying Americans out, you know, uh, American citizens, by helicopter wow. at, the, at the price of $6,500 a person. Now, of course, huh. that's very expensive to do what he's doing. And if now the uh, Jim Psaki is saying he's heartless. How could he do this at a profit? Well, he's not making a profit, well, I'm quite certain. Question is, how many people can you put in a helicopter? That's right. Well, he's, he's apparently, it's, it's a major mission. I hope he's successful right. because I'm sure, quite frankly, these people value their lives a lot more than they do $6,500. True, true. Well, you know, uh, again, it's, 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 it's going to continue being interesting to follow. And then the, the real question to discuss in future weeks and months and who knows how long is, you, what do you do when it's over, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, is, is, is Afghanistan going to go back to exactly what we saw 20 years ago? Yeah, I'm afraid it's going to be worse, quite frankly, because it's uh, already China and uh, Russia are licking their chops, making agreement, and uh, uh, Iran, they're all uh, basically getting in line and saying, you know, we'd like a, a little piece of the action there in Afghanistan. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well... Uh, another week in beautiful Naples has gone by, right? And uh, and up here in uh, in in New York, and we're still blessed uh, uh, to have local politics to talk about and other good things that, that you always talk about. And I read your columns, which are really great. Oh, so uh, uh, we we have we have a lot of things to be happy about. We do indeed. Again, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. All right, you have a great week, Bill. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We have great guests for tomorrow as well. Uh, William Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about what's happening, especially with the uh, some of the bills that are being passed by the Democrats in, in the House of Representatives, this $3.5 million, trillion, dollar, trillion dollar budget that they've passed. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon, is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Rachel Glazer is with the uh, Heritage Foundation. We're going to be talking about woke corporations, including American Express. And Dave Beagle is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave will be joining us as well. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobhardin.com.
BobHarton.com. <laughs>